Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Nunzio Presta. Nunzio, you're a former hockey pro hockey player and the CEO of BuyAndSellABusiness.com. Thank you for being here. It's funny as I practice your name before this, and uh, I think it's an ongoing theme. Anybody that's got a, a creative name, I like to say, uh, <laughs> I've seen them mess it up when it, when the lights are on and the, uh, the you know the camera's rolling and I'm under pressure. I butcher the name, so uh, apologize for that. And let's just jump in and have a good time here, man. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, listen, I'm used to it. Um, like I've told you in the past, uh, my Starbucks name is Matthew because uh, <laughs> some people just don't get it right. So not a problem at all. <laughs> As I told you earlier before the show, I, uh, people butcher my name, Ron, right? It's Rod or Rob or whatever. And I used to take a picture and say, hey, I'm Rob and post it on my social media. <laughs> and uh, somebody would say, hey, Ron, like, no, not today. Look, I'm, I'm Rob today. Yeah. So let's cool. Let's just start right off with how did you get into this space? You went from pro hockey, and as I, we were talking to you, you were looking at playing in, in overseas too, and now yeah. you're in this mergers and acquisitions, buying and selling a business space. Kind of, can you fill in the gap? I, 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 what's the origin story of that? No, absolutely. So you know, being being Canadian, hockey was a, a big part of my life. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I competed at some of the highest levels, uh, in the world. Uh, but unfortunately my career, uh, came to, to an end. It, you know, one of the questions I had to ask myself, which I still ask myself today, you know, whether it's on certain business projects or features or, or anything in life pretty much is whether I should, you know, try harder or walk away. And, um, I had to make that decision to walk away from a game I really loved. Um, and after I made that decision, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to go back to university, back to business school, uh, and I just fell in love with entrepreneurship. I, I saw a lot of similarities between entrepreneurship and sports. Um, so I was really excited. Uh, and while I was in university, I started uh, a little business uh, with a friend of mine. Um, we, we grew it um, to a pretty, you know, a, a pretty good, good position. Um, but then, you know, we, we started to reflect and, we used to, you know, we used to tell each other that, listen, you know, we don't have the resources or the passion uh, or the expertise to, to really grow this business, um, you know, uh, further along. So we started looking for ways to try and sell this business. And this would have been in 2010, I believe, or 2011. And on that journey, Ron, you know, it was it was difficult. You know, um, real estate agents would would look at us and say, hey, listen, I'd rather sell a house. Um, you know, business brokers would say you're way too small. Uh, they want, you know, something a, a, a lot bigger. Uh, and then at that time, just promoting the sale online, um, you know, there, there was just no good, you know, positive user experience. It was all these directories and, um, you know, where I would be promoting the sale of my business while someone else is promoting the sale of a, a dog or a bike or a fridge. And the user experience just wasn't there. So I started digging into this world a little bit more. And I uncovered, um, you know, some great uh, trends that were not just specific to Canada, but were, you know, applied around the world. And, you know, it was the uh, increase in baby boomers uh, looking to retire and exit. Uh, 
that caught my attention. Uh, it was also, I already started noticing this, you know, almost 11 years ago, that there was this mindset shift that was happening. You know, a lot of people were, were starting to move away from that nine to five and entertain being their own boss. So that was interesting. Uh, and then also uh, foreign investors interested in existing uh, North American businesses. And then the, uh, the increase in popularity around franchising that was happening a lot as well, you know, almost a decade ago. So I said to myself, this is interesting. And, and like a typical entrepreneur, I said, well, if nothing's out there, uh, I'm going to jump in uh, and I'm going to create something special. I'm going to create something seamless, resourceful uh, and supportive. Um, and, and that's pretty much the origin story. It's, it's a, you know, it's a quite simple, you know, typical entre- entrepreneurial story. But if we fast forward to today, you know, we've been live to the market for about eight years. We've done over $2 billion in transaction value. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, our entire team, we believe that everyone should love what they do. And, and we see business ownership as a, as a path towards that. Um, and, you know, we also believe that not everyone wants to start a business from scratch or can start a business from, from scratch. So we see entrepreneurship through acquisition as, as a path that mitigates risk and really makes business ownership real for many. So, you know, our message is pretty much, is pretty clear uh, today. And it's, you know, you don't have to start a business to own one. Uh, and, you know, we promote and push that narrative day in and day out. Yeah. I like the, uh, you know, I, I got into this space because I, got, I divested from my last company and I was looking for what to do next. And, um, to be honest, it's idea. I know the statistics behind it. Like so many businesses fell from the startup phase. Um, yeah. You know, if you really look at wanting to create a very successful business, something of significance, a million dollars of revenue or more, the odds of doing that are something like 2001. <laughs> um, meaning that, you know, it's somewhere in there. I did the math a couple of different times, but uh, it's somewhere in that realm, meaning that, if you to just get past the first five years, 90 something percent of those businesses fell. And then out of the ones that succeed, the ones that reach that is only a small percentage. So, you know, the idea at age 50 to go out and pull 60 to 80 hour weeks, trying to get something off the ground and running just really did not appeal to me. And, yeah. uh, uh, I was listening to a podcast or something and a guy come on there. He's like, why run the marathon when you, you can run the relay race and pick the baton up after you're, 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 you know, you're way in the head, way in the lead, right? You grab the, you only have to run the last hundred yards. And what yeah. he was referring to is acquisition entrepreneurship. Somebody's got a 30, 40, 50 year old brand. They've proven market concept. They've proven everything. And now they're ready to retire. And they're just looking for somebody to take that baton over and take it to the next level. That made a lot more sense. And yeah. I was, kind of got into the space of this because um, I seen the opportunity too, right? There are uh, an enormous amount of, and I'll get the statistics wrong if I guess at them, of baby boomers and people needing to retire out in the next five to 10 years. That may be yeah. So. Yeah. And, and Ron, you're absolutely right. You know, from a, from a buyer's side, you know, we, we're also driven to make sure that, you know, these small business owners or these small businesses that literally 
um, are the backbone of our of our communities uh, stay up and running, right? We we don't want to see jobs and local businesses disappearing from you know a, a traditional business perspective and from a digital perspective, you know there's you know their footprint is still large as well and it and 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 it runs deep into the real world as well, right? So you know I think from you know a, a buyer side we we want you know we're driven to make sure that uh, exits are are easy and and realistic, and then from a seller side. Absolutely, right. You wanna you wanna find something that mitigates risk, but I think from an, from another angle, you also want to find something that you're passionate about and something you know that you have the skill uh, for in order to grow that business. You know, another another thing that really drives our organization is uh, this this you know belief that a stronger economy and better future is possible when people wake up loving what they do. Um, and business ownership, you know, in our opinion, is definitely a path. Uh, towards that. So it's a very, very exciting space and, and um, in, in my opinion, a fulfilling space. And that's why we've been around so long doing this. So buy and sell a business.com. Is that more of a brokerage or is it a listing service website or tell me, tell me, what is that? Yeah, we like to say we participate in, uh, you know, the purchase and sale tech space. So, um, you know, at its core, you know, we're, we're a platform where buyers and sellers can connect. Uh, those buyers and sellers are entrepreneurs themselves, small business owners, franchisors, franchisees, and even business brokers leveraging us as a marketing tool. And essentially there's two, two um, you know, two, uh, three, I guess three ways to uh, engage with our, our site. The first is through our search engine where you could search for business opportunities uh, and connect with, with the uh, sellers. Uh, the second is, from a seller perspective is what we call our introduction uh, subscription service where you can list your, your, your business for sale and we, um, we make introductions uh, to potential buyers. And then the third is our fully uh, guided full serve um, solution, uh, which basically uh, we've created, you know, really, really sound tech that has uh, automated and digitized the entire purchase and sale experience from the offer to the LOI to e-signatures to chat document exchange for due diligence all the way to closing, including the transfer of all deal funds. So from a seller perspective, um, our users could, you know, either engage with a guided uh, solution or, or an introduction solution. Got it. So, Let's talk about the process a little bit. Um, a lot of when we just we talked about this earlier today on the show, uh, but if if you look at the selling process and what a seller has to go through from your perspective, what does it look like to prepare a business uh, to to go through the process? So so from our so when when we talk about you know what a seller has to do in order to be ready to post on on our platform, um, you know. The business has to be sellable, obviously. Um, the process of actually getting getting that listing on our site is very self-sufficient. So they all they have to do is create an account, and uh, from the moment you know they have access and verify their account, and have access to our our platform. Uh, all they have to do is click sell, and then um, they're on their way to selecting some options and creating their listing within our platform. Uh, once that listing is created. Uh, they, they add some images and then they submit it for approval. Our team reviews the listing to make sure it's as perfect as it can be. Uh, once it's approved, it's uh, published and public to our, uh, our audience of buyers. The, um, 
So now they're published to your audience of buyers. Uh, you know, guys like me can scroll through those, take a look at them. And then I imagine you have a communication tool to, so for us to reach through you to them. Um, exactly. Yep, exactly. So if the seller is engaged with our subscription solution, um, buyers have the, uh, the call to action for the buyer would be just initiate contact. And that would be an automated um, introduction via email between the buyer and seller. Um, if the seller is leveraging our full serve uh, digital and automated purchase and sale solution, then the call to action for that listing would be send an offer. Uh, it's a non-binding offer, uh, but we, we basically, um, you know, force the hand of the buyer to say, listen, you know, we, we want to reduce tire kickers. We're looking for an offer. Once that offer is sent, it's up to the seller to accept it. And then our technology moves both of those users through that purchase and sale journey. Interesting. So you, you've got an, um, a, a, a link or a, a, a way for buyers to just submit directly an offer. So uh, I'm assuming that you've got information there. Uh, on there for them to to evaluate in order to do that. So uh, in the instance, like a deal room, you have uh, a way for for the seller to upload a certain amount of stuff. Do you guys facilitate any type of NDA or any type of non-disclosure between the two? Yeah. So once that non-binding offer is sent and accepted, mm-hmm. uh, then then our technology guides them through what we call an uh, an LOI builder, mm-hmm. and within that LOI builder, uh, both the buyers and sellers are able to tailor that letter of intent and enter the terms that they want, including a clause around NDA. Once that's e-signed and and finalized, then uh, our deal room is open to both the buyer and seller to engage with each other through either chat, exchanging documents. And then we kind of have this, you know, uh, check and balance sort of thing uh, in, in our platform where we'll let the buyers and seller know what stage they're in, what needs to be completed. Once those things are completed, the next uh, stage is opened with, with the next, um, I guess, to do, to do list. So, so I, I think I lost something in the, the translation there <laughs> in your explanation. How does the, if it's making an offer is the first initial contact, how do, how does an acquisition entrepreneur like myself have enough information to, to, to know what to offer or to make that offer? Yeah. So the, the listing itself, uh, the seller provides, you know, the financials, the overview of the, of the, uh, business itself. Um, but generally the way, the way we're approaching this right now is we're the sellers providing as much information as they want to before any sort of NDA is signed. But once that initial offer is sent, then that's when the buyer um, and seller is going to receive additional information to actually go through uh, a letter of intent and due diligence. So most of the meat of the deal won't be uncovered until uh, there's, there's um, I guess an, informal non-binding offer that's agreed to okay that's cool um what is what's the process look like i mean what needs to be in place for them to effectively sell that business i mean is there i know you just you said it in in, in one way but if i you know if i was to sit down and go okay i'm time to sell um what needs to be in place before i can to to effectively to, to list on your site and, and start receiving offers. I guess the, let's rephrase that. The successful listings you see that sell fairly quickly, what do they have that the other ones don't? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think, you know, I think what you're really getting to is, um, you know, the market markability of, of a potential uh, listing and, you know, we've been around for a while and, and, and what we've noticed is in order to, and I know this sounds simple, but it's just the truth, but in order to really effectively market a business for sale, not only does it have to be valuable, it needs to be sellable, especially in the micro market. And, you know, we've been around for, you know, eight years and we've never seen a bad business sell per se, you know, in, in larger markets, you know, acquisitions can take place for strategic reasons, even, even if that business isn't profitable. Um, However, in the micro market, some some buyers have, you know, the strategy and patience and resources to to pull a business out of the gutter. But a majority of buyers are looking for an immediate return or looking for, you know, passive income or looking to replace their job. Therefore, the marketability of that listing and of that business really depends on how sellable the business is. Um, And like I said, we've seen we've seen tons of acquisitions in the micro market and in general a sellable business has great timing and aligns with you know social economic and and tech trends and we always urge our audience of buyers to really buy the business for future opportunities not for what the business is today um sellable you know businesses are self-sufficient meaning they they aren't dependent on a particular stakeholder um and also sellable businesses have strong and healthy financials. Uh, and we, we see, we see the listings, uh, with, you know, business models that have recurring, recurring, um, revenue. Uh, we see bonus points, uh, go to them or premiums at least go to those as well. So I think in general to market the listing on our platform, it really needs to be sellable. It needs to be organized and you have to be prepared to sell that. And if you're listening to this, maybe uh, one more thing to add on that is it's, uh, the assets need to be transferable, right? Yeah, I was just course. reviewing. Yeah, I was just reviewing uh, something. Uh, small business, they have some contracts in place, and there's no. I, I think technically, I'm no lawyer. Don't take me for legal advice, but technically, <laughs> all contracts are assignable. But as a buyer, we're looking for language inside of your contracts that says that you know, in the event the business is. Uh, you know, sold, acquired, whatever, um, you know, the contract stays in places in full force. Um, they had nothing in their contract for that. And now it's a question to attorneys as how transferable are those contracts? Cause without them, they don't have a business. It's a very good point. Yep. Right. We've, we've mentioned the, the word deal room a couple of times here. I've, uh, a lot of people are, uh, um, not, you know, if you own a business and you've never like done, started your research and educate yourself on what it means to sell, there's a whole dictionary of terms that you've just never used in your day to day. Yeah. Business. Uh, what is a deal room and what goes in it? What, what's 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 that about? Yeah. Well, what goes in a deal room? And, and what's interesting is now now that we launched this full serve solution and and mm-hmm. buyers and sellers are able to kind of create this deal room. Together and collaborate on this deal room together. We're starting to see the type of information um, that that you know our users are 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 putting in there. And you know, I, I think the short answer is as much as possible. Um, you know, not to be redundant. You know, our full serve solution has has done a great job at really digitizing and automating that entire purchase and sale experience. Um, really helping you know those buyers and sellers navigate through the offer due diligence and, and closing phase so in in our deal room you know buyers have the ability to chat with each other have the ability to exchange documents and like i said before they also can request and accept 
all necessary deal funds to get that deal done. Um, but you know, in the end, or in a nutshell, uh, the most important documents that and information that that should be available in the deal room, and what we've seen a majority of our buyers request, in, in order to make an informed decision on on whether they should move forward with that acquisition or not, would be, you know, for example, information around uh, ownership, right? Um, uh, organize, you know, uh, information around the the organizational uh, chart, you know, including info on, you know, who the most important stakeholders are and how dependent, you know, uh, are they on on the business. Uh, that's an important question. Uh, obviously, articles of incorporation uh, are, are in the deal room. Uh, the company's strategic plan, marketing plan, sales plan. Um, there's also financial statements and tax returns um, for at least the, the past three years. A buyer wants to see at minimum three-year history. Um, there's also, you know, budgets and financial projections. Uh, as mentioned previously, Ron, um, you know, one thing sellers need to appreciate is that the buyer isn't always buying the business for today. They're buying it for future uh, opportunities. So it's super important to be crystal clear on, on the financial projections and other opportunities within the market. And there's a lot of, you know, discussion and document uh, documents around that. Um, and another thing is, you know, uh, information and documents around the legal environment, right? What are those pressing regulations uh, or, or tax or customer uh, issues affecting the company? You know, there has to be clear transparency uh, on that. Um, and if if your business is dependent on third-party vendors, um, you know, details around who those vendors are and what kind of work, you know, do they do for the business? So, uh, you know, the, that deal room is essentially a catch-all uh, to create as as, as much transparency on what this business is truly about all the way down uh, to, to, to the skeleton of the business. It's interesting as I've reviewed, uh, probably pushing close to 300 now businesses for sale over the last couple of years. Um, most of them were marketing agencies because we were doing a roll up. I've seen one, two, I can count them on one hand, one, two, three, four, three, three really well-developed deal rooms. Yeah. Right. Really well. Like everything I could think of, it's in there. And the fourth one was pretty good. He had his financials and stuff, had no plans in there. Uh, but the basics of who he was and in his historical information was in there. What was missing in the conversation, you know, went down the path of is, OK, if you were to run this for five more years, what what would you, you know, what would your current plan be? And uh, he was just done. So he didn't do those plans because he was. Like I'm going to sell this and it's your, that's your problem. Um, yeah. But that's not how it kind of works is you haven't, uh, the, these sellers don't realize they have an inside knowledge that the buyer does not have. Um, sometimes I say that sometimes buyers, like I own a pest control company of one of the many things uh, fairly new at owning in just a few years now, but I know enough about that industry and that space that, you know, you wouldn't have to give me your projections on how to grow the business and stuff. I've got that fairly well figured out. Um, I'd like to see your point of view, but I, that's not a deal stopper. But if I went into, I don't know, some type of construction or another company, I'd really want to see what you what you thought the opportunities in the upcoming market would look like. Like, how are you going to handle the downturn in new builds and stuff when the economy it looks like it's about to, you know, start down the it's already started down the path, but it looks like it's going to continue down the path where it's going to be harmful to construction. So yeah. I could see that. But, I, you know, it's it's not common that I've seen so far that a really well-developed 
sell my business product. That's what the deal room is to me. It's like kind of your yeah. marketing. This is here. Here's my, you know, display shelf showing you everything you need to know about my business to make a, a, a good, fair and valid offer. And, uh, you know, out of pushing 300 businesses, I've taken a look at and spent an hour or two on the phone with over the last few years. Like I said, I can count them on one hand. Um, that, yeah, it's, that, it's not abnormal, Ron, especially in, in, in the micro market, right? A lot mm-hmm. of these, a lot of these micro uh, businesses or small businesses, you know, they're not prepared, they're not organized. So, you, you know, your experience is not abnormal. You know, with our solution, we're definitely trying to streamline that and, and help organize these, these individuals um, with providing them with a due diligence checklist on the documents that we think they should provide to a potential buyer or a buyer should request, but it's absolutely, you know, not, not abnormal. Um, a lot of, you know, not a lot, but you know, quite a bit, uh, of, of business owners in the micro market, uh, some of them, you know, literally wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to sell my business today. Uh, and you know, in reality, you need at least two to three years of getting that business, uh, ready to sell. A lot of people don't get that, right? They, yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just really stressful. The market's turning on me. I don't want to go through <laughs> exactly. another downturn. I think I'll sell the business. And I'm like, great. You know, you got one year to change your accounting practices to show your true <laughs> revenue as it stands now, because you, you're, that's not the way you're doing your taxes and your revenue now, your books, is because you're trying to save money on taxes, not sure. because you're trying to sell it. So you got one year to clean that up, and then you got to run it that well way for at least three years to show that it's sustainable and reproducible. So you're looking at three to four years. You're right. And, uh, you know, I, like I I was talking on a previous show is like, I had a friend call and said, Hey, I'd like to sell my business. That's great. Um, call me in four years when you're ready. And he was kind of joking because I know the guy He says, what do you mean? I want to, I don't want to do this for four more years. I'm done. I was like, yeah, you should have thought about that four years ago. And he says, why? I said, I already know who your I knew who his uh, uh, tax preparer is, and she's very coachish. You know, she coaches you a lot about things. I said, I know right now that your your income's understated, and you've done everything you can to have all the write offs you could have to you know not paying Uncle Sam any dollars that you don't have to. It's you know he's, he's fair; he's not hurting anybody, um, but he pays exactly what he has to pay, not what what you know. So the first year is always going to be. You got to undo that, right? You got to, and you can't just go in and fix your, t- you know, a lot of people go, I'll just go in there and, and show you, this is what it should look like. Shoulda, woulda, could is don't sell businesses, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you and know. another important, another important, I guess, tip for those business owners that say, okay, I'm waking up, I want to sell my business. And then they're discouraged when, you know, an advisor or, 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 or consultant says, well, listen, you need, you need, you know, let's, let's, this is going to be a three-year journey to, to getting your business to a sellable position they, they can't, they can't sit back on their heels and, and, and let up on the business. And we've seen that before where someone's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not really into this business anymore. I'm not passionate about it or I'm tired. And they're, as they're trying to organize the business, you know, they start, like I said before, sitting on their heels and, you know, the revenues start to dip a little or culture starts to suffer a bit. And all of a sudden what they're doing is, you know, putting pressure on the valuation of the business, right? Uh, you know, when they're actually prepared and ready to sell. So if, if you're, if you get discouraged because you need, 
to plan two and three years um, and, and organize the business in order to sell, uh, don't. You know, that's the time to actually uh, buckle down and, and take it even more serious. So at least you could sell uh, for, for um, you know, a, a competitive uh, price. Let's jump into like, there's a lot of misconceptions out there in, in all market spaces. There's uh, like common beliefs that are just absolutely not true. Uh, what's one that bugs you? What's something out there that people think about buying or selling a business that, you know, it's just, it just doesn't exist. Like, you know, one of them we just talked about, right. You can wake up one day and decide to sell. Yeah, probably not. Unless you, unless you've been operating, I guess uh, the best one out there that I know of is like, I think his name's John Worlow, uh, built to sell. Unless you've been operating your business as if it's for sale for the last three or four years, you're probably not going to be able to wake up one day and sell it. Not for anything. Exactly. reasonable. Everything's yeah. sellable, right? You can call me today and say, I have a $3 million business. I just need 10,000 bucks to, to, uh, you know, kickstart my next project. I'm probably going to take a look at that pretty deeply, no matter how, you know, how messed up it is, but you know, to, to sell it, what's at what's reasonable. And, and then this day, for those are listening, that's two and a half for most industries, it's two and a half to three times, your profit, what you were able to pay yourself uh, on a regular basis, seller's discretionary earnings, EBITDA, what are you going to call it? But it's pretty much your profit. So two to three times your profit is very normal. Uh, There are industries that are more and there's industries that are less. But uh, if, if what are the other, uh, you know, preconceived notions are out there that just just kind of really just don't land well with you? Um. This is an easy question for me because I actually hate when people uh, ask me this question. So, <laughs> and, this, and this comes from the buyer side, and it's like, well, why would I, you know, why would I buy an existing business? You know, they're selling for a reason. They're obviously not making money, or or something's, you know, something's bad about the business. Like, why would any reasonable business owner get rid of a business that's doing so well? Um, and you know, truthfully, you know, that's, you know, just not true. There's a stigma around that. It's just, it's just not true. You know, a lot of business owners aren't selling because the business isn't doing well. Like I said, at the beginning of this, uh, of, of this podcast, we've, we've never seen a bad business really sell on our platform. You know, they're all great businesses, profitable, and the driving force behind the exit isn't because the business isn't doing well. It's, you know, it could be health reasons. It could be retirement. It could be, uh, you know, the, the, the brutal reality that they are no longer interested or passionate about growing this business or building this business or operating this business. They want to, you know, uh, start something else or buy something else and, and grow it there, right? So there's so many other reasons why people are, are selling, you know, businesses, especially in the micro market, right? But the focus on, on the micro market, um, so yeah, that that's definitely um, a question I hate being asked. <laughs> it's it's interesting as uh, I've had quite a few people I, when asked like my favorite question is like out of all the things you can be doing in life, right? You know what has you on the phone with the guy who buys and sells businesses? Like this is in my first call when I'm doing like kind of building reports. Like out of all the things you could be doing right now, what has you on the phone with me, a guy who's looking to buy and sell businesses? And uh, you know. I would say more often than I expected, it's, I, you know, I didn't expect this answer. The answer I didn't expect was, and I get this often, um, probably two or three times out of 10, uh, is I've taken it as far as I can take it. I don't know how to take it any further. It's time for somebody else to take control of it and take it somewhere else. Uh, I've got another, and they have another project, but they, they hit, what happened was, 
uh, at least the story they're telling me what happened was they hit a certain plateau. They knew they couldn't take it much further. They had this other idea. They kicked it off. It's starting now. It's starting to get traction and they need more time for that. So they're selling this one. Sure. Right? Instead of, you know, there's a million ways they could have handled that differently, but that's, the, you know, that's the truth of the matter is not all businesses that sell are selling because there's something wrong or something bad or anything like that. It's yeah. selling because the intentions and expectations of the owner are no longer aligned with where they want to go. Right. And, um, and, and it happens. Right. Um, and to be honest, somebody who's looking to, you know, take a business to public someday, that's his, you know, he went to college, he's got his master's degree and he knew he's going to create a business, take a public. And he started some business and he just never sees a path to that. He might be selling you a business that makes five, 10, $15 million a year, but it still, it doesn't make sense to take a public just because it doesn't make sense. And now he's going to go try a, a different business, a software, another tool or something. So there's a million reasons why. And very often it's, or very rarely is it, ah, uh, this thing's crashing and burning. I better sell it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. So cool. So what's your favorite deal? Like what's the, uh, the coolest thing you've ever seen go through your site or you guys, you got to work with and help. I love good stories. What's it? Tell us a good story about something that, you know, you get to got to encounter in the last eight years. Well, you know what? So, so as, as a platform and, you know, as you know, we, we, the unfortunate thing is, you know, we, we have a very engaged community and, um, and, you know, we're very um, supportive and, and, um, and constantly in, in, you know, contact with our user base, but like any other, you know, digital first platform or marketplace, there's a lot of users, there's a lot of deals going through. So unfortunately we, we, we can't, you know, have a close relationship with, you know, all our, our users, but one that definitely st stays top of mind for me is, is a story when um, my sister-in-law uh, actually bought, um, you know, a, a children's playground through my platform. Uh, and it was just um, really rewarding because I created something that added value to someone that was close, close by. Uh, and I saw the actual, you know, uh, effect in real life. You know, I saw how she transformed this, um, you know, this uh, great little um, um, uh, playground uh, into into something that was, you know, pretty good. You know, she was, you know, she grew the revenue. Uh, they they dumped money back into uh, the playground to uh, renovate it and rebrand it, and and it was growing. It was growing great. So I think that's probably definitely top of mind for me because it was so close, uh, and I saw the you know the real life effect of it. Um. This one just keeps sticking in my head, so I'm going to get it out there. What piece of advice would you consider most important for somebody thinking about selling? Like, if they can only, if they're really busy, they're pull, they're they're still engaged, they're pulling their sixty you know hour weeks, but they're thinking about selling and they they need to start the process. Where do you have them start? What's the most important thing for them to start doing differently? Um, right away, start creating um, you know operating principles. Um, you know, systems and, and processes and even values uh, in the business, whether it's a, a two-person show or a, a 25-person show, um, because you want to make sure that the business isn't dependent on you. Uh, I know in our space, it's, it's probably the number one piece of advice. 
but creating a self-sufficient business is absolutely mandatory um, in, in this space because a lot of buyers, you know, they'll, they fear the unknown. And, and if they, if they see that that business is really dependent on that one, you know, um, owner or that one client or that one supplier, um, they know as soon as, as soon as they buy that business and those certain stakeholders are gone, so is the revenue. So, that would be my number one advice. Start working on really creating uh, a business that's not dependent on you uh, day in and day out. Um, and the next is really make sure your financials are healthy and clean uh, and, and organized. Um, you know, I, I always tell people if you can introduce some sort of subscription or recurring model, go for it because, you know, the valuation or the multiple of of, of that revenue is, is higher uh, sometimes, or at least the multiples on revenue versus uh, profits for models like that. Um, and also be aware of timing, right? You know, if you, if you think, you know, you're, or you ha- have always had this plan that you, you may want to exit, you know, know when the right time to exit is, right? And you need to be aware of, of all, you know, the social, economic and tech trends, right? I always, it's an, it's an old example, but it's a very true example. You know, if you had, you know, a little independent taxi company that you wanted to sell and all of a sudden, you know, Uber's, you know, on the corner, you may want to sell that sooner than later, right? Um, so just being aware of, of the environment as well, right? Right. Uh, one of the exercises I have some owners do when they tell me, well, you know, I, I pull 50, 60 hours a week. It's cool. What roles do you, uh, you, you hold? Yeah, I'm pretty much just manage things. It's like not at 60 to 70 hours a week. Right. I said, yeah. here's what I asked him to do. So for the next 10 days, do me a favor. He said, what? At the end of every day, get you a, 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 a notebook. Right. Or, or, or uh, open up a notepad on your computer. And the end of every day, log went like, what time did you get there? What time are you about to go home? And then just brain dump everything, like all the different things you worked on and do it for 10 days for me. And you'll, yeah, I, and I want to see it. And the reason I do that, and, and this is for friends mostly than anything, but the reason I do that is because I honestly think a lot of owners don't realize how much they're actually doing. Yeah. Right. And you see note entries in there. Hey, you know, accounting brought me this problem and I helped them fix it. Or like, so now he's an accountant for a few seconds. Right. But there's a lot of hats he's wearing. And it, I said, what the, the second exercise I say is like, look everything on that list and figure out what should you be doing. Right. If, if your accounting is doing that three times a week, probably the next accounting hire needs to be just a little bit more senior, a little bit more experienced. So they go to them. Sure right? Uh, maybe not right away, but you're just like, you identify, okay, I've got a weakness in this area. And it's, uh, it's surprising what they learn in that space, right? Uh, one of the guys like, you know, I realized I spend 10 hours a week out in the shop fixing machinery. Like, okay, you've got 20 people on the floor. Nobody else knows how to fix that stuff, right? You know, these are, it was a machine shop type of thing. So, yeah. but I honestly believe it's what's the word I'm looking for. You get kind of acclimated to your environment. You don't see things that are right in front of you because they're, they're there every day. So getting an owner to kind of see what it is they spend their time doing is I think the first step. And then he said, well, you know, this, this, the guy that asked me that, so, okay, what's the finish step? I said, start taking vacation time. assign all that stuff to other people and take a week off and then come back and see how things are working. Right. Exactly. Tell, tell the staff, you can't contact me unless this place is burning down. Right. 
but it also it also unlocks it, it unlocks time for that owner you know to to put towards um you know more strategic uh, areas of the business to actually grow the business right mm-hmm. when when they're dependent on every aspect of the business you know it you know it stops it stops growth in my opinion and i saw that as a young young kid my father had um a cpa firm and i remember as a little kid just in his lobby just doing homework the amount of clients that would come in and go to the secretary saying hey is frank here and they'd be like unfortunately he's he's busy or, or with a client um but so and so could definitely help you no 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 i want to wait for frank i need to talk to frank i need to talk to frank so right away i, I know it's accounting so it could be a little different than other uh, businesses because there's that one-on-one relationship but it still paints a picture that you know when you're really dependent on everything in the business it could lead to you know um a bad you know bad customer service or 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 you know just you know being absorbed in the business where you can't actually you know work on the business to see how you could grow it more right so i think creating those those principles and those systems and processes where you know decisions could be made without you uh, and the business could operate without you is is absolutely critical especially if you're thinking of selling Absolutely. You know, it's, um, I, I did it with my last business. I realized I, I, uh, I used to kind of call myself a problem solver. Somebody can, I love solving problems and, uh, the problem, what's the number one problem with somebody who identifies as a problem solver? What do they have an abundance of? Solutions or problems? Problems. Everybody brings a problem to a problem solver, <laughs> I was right? going to say, it's either yeah. solution or problem. We create solutions, but you know, yeah, so, problems. you know, what happens is you end up surrounding yourself with employees who always have problems they need you to solve, yeah. right? Because yeah. you're good at solving them. So, uh, you know, now if I showed one of my, my guys how to tie his shoe, then he did it. If, if, if it wasn't, if there was nothing wrong with his shoelace, he could do that over and over again. But the second there was an awkward nod or something different about the shoelace, he would come to me and go, Hey, this is different. What do I do with this one? Right. It was a bad in culture to actually do to to have created, right? And a lot of business owners don't realize that. I didn't realize it until later on that I had done it. Um, that was the reason I was having some burnout stuff. Is like nobody does anything here but me. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's because I, I I hired people who you know made me feel smart because they brought me problems I could uh, uh, solve. Every business owner has some of that in there unless they've really addressed it. There's things that they do that would be better served by other people doing them. And there's things, you know, people they've hired, um, uh, you know, I've had owners like, Hey, I'll tell you the business, but you got to promise me you fire nobody for the first six months. I, I, I told everybody I'm selling and I'm really concerned. They're all concerned about their losing their job. So just promise me you won't do make any changes for six months. I'm like, I can make promises. I won't do anything for the first 60 days. Cause it takes me that long to learn what I've got my hands on. Right. But after that, I promise you, I just told them, I say, I promise you, there are people working for you that you're loyal to them. Your loyalty to them outweighs their value to the company. If you've been in business for 25 years and, you know, you hired your favorite employee's grandson, he doesn't have to perform like everybody else because you have a loyalty to your favorite employee. Right? Yeah. I don't have that loyalty. I don't know the guy. So... Um, that said, there is, there's, there's something to be said for understanding the culture, understanding who's there, why they're hired, who are they connected with, right? Uh, you know, 
that that space of uh, like it gets different when you start getting over fifty employees, but in a smaller environment, those the smaller the team, the more uh, we call it connected they kind of have to be, right? So in, inside of some of these spaces, how do you see that inside of a deal room or something? Like, okay, they got thirteen employees. How do you uh, how do you get the owners uh, to or even the, the sellers to understand what the culture is going to be like. I do it by long phone calls and Zoom calls and, you know, and other stuff. But I, I don't play in that digital market space where I can go scroll through a list of businesses and, and make an offer on something. I just I haven't played in that. Is it because it's it's micro that it, it, it makes it easier to do that or? Well, I think I think at the end of the day, the way we're positioning it is sure the mic the micro space has has something to do with it but we're also we're we're also it's a mechanism from us as a platform to say listen this is a non-binding offer right. this is just to make sure that you know we're kicking away these these tire kickers and and we're we're making sure that the that the conversation is as 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 qualified as possible you know there is no actual deal until a purchase and sale agreement is sent and signed so, right. you know, the, the offers are really, um, like I said, non-binding. They're not, you know, they're informal um, per se. It's just to align both the buyers and sellers. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that's just the way our platform operates. And that's just a mechanism we've, um, you know, released in order to try to make sure that, you know, our sellers are not wasting time with, with um, you know, unqualified buyers. Can you give me an idea on what are the average business sizes on, on the platform? Uh, like, I don't know how you do it, like if it's revenue or profit or whatever, but from what's the range? What does it look like? Yeah. So right now we have uh, something on our site called data stories. And, mm -hmm. and if you go there, it'll show you what the average uh, listing price is and what the average connection price is. So right now the average um, listing price is around, it's just, it's just, it's, it's almost around seven, 700,000. I believe last time I checked, it was around 686,000. And then the average connection price. So the, the, you know, the, 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 the valuation of, of, of uh, the listing that a lot of buyers are connecting with is around 750,000. So that's, that kind of, you know, creates the environment um, or uh, for the micro market that we play in, but just based on, you know, the list the average listing price set of, of 680,000, you know, the average multiple, like you said, is, is anywhere from two to three. So you can easily uh, understand the average uh, profit um, per, per company on our, on our site. That's cool. So the, the reason I wanted that is when I heard micro, I'm thinking, you know, um, I've had the CEO of uh, uh, Flippa and uh, yeah. micro acquire some of their site. I mean, a lot of their listings are really small. It's like, you know, yeah. five, six thousand dollars a year in, in, in profit. And it's like, OK, uh, the only reason I'd buy that is I'm in your industry and I don't want to spend money to develop a website. I might as well buy your website that's in my industry, add my yeah. product to it and, and bump my revenue up a little bit. Uh, and that's from my perspective, from, from a lot of other perspectives, people buy them for other reasons. But, uh, so I was trying to figure out when you've used the phrase multiple times on the show, uh, micro yeah. and, uh, you know, yeah. micro to one person is different than micro to another. So. Sure. Yeah. So the way we defined it is, um, under 5 million in enterprise value. 
that that's a micro market for okay. for us. Um, some some of these other players that have that, that have platforms, you'll you'll notice um, that micro may be defined in, in other ways, but generally they're really 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 micro because a majority of 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 the deals that they attract are either SaaS based or e commerce based or domains or or startups. Right, the world we live in is yes, of course, you know we have bigger SaaS and e commerce uh, businesses for sale or digital businesses for sale on our platform, but we also have established main uh, main street businesses for sale as well. You know these bigger wholesale and and restaurant or aesthetics or or, or fitness and healthcare um, uh, businesses that that create the like I said before create the backbone of our of our communities. You know, we've said a few times on here that the average going sales price right now is two and a half to three and a half, two and a half to three times seller's discretionary income. Yeah. But that's not necessarily always the case. There's a lot of industries that are different than that. And one of the things that a business owner probably finds the most confusion around is how to value their business. Do you have tools on there for valuation? Um, we do. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So because because we we're sitting on a, a lot of rich data, we actually have a, a quick business valuation calculator. Um, mm-hmm. It's on our site. It's free. You plug in a couple numbers, and then um, our our backend does its job uh, to spit out a report and email it back to you. Uh, and it's based on all you know, like I said, all the data that we've been you know analyzing and gathering for the last almost ten years. Okay. So I was just curious because, I mean, if you have a business owner, I, I had one, the same guy I was telling you about earlier, he called me and said, how do I price my business? And I said, well, yeah. that depends. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I Google it and there's so many different ways to do this. I was like, yeah, I think uh, it's one of the main, major colleges, like I won't know which one, like Ivy or something. Uh, one of the Ivy schools out there actually has 147 valuation models that they, they teach. Right. Yeah. At, at yeah. one school. So, you know, where you and I are just throwing away, throwing out that that multi, uh, multiple of EBITDA or multiple of uh, seller's discretionary earnings profit or whatever. That's sure. the simplest one. Uh, some of us use it. Some a lot of people preach against it. Tell you you're making a bad decision by using it. Um, yeah. But if you if you're a business owner, you go down to Google. How do I how do I get an estimate of what my business is worth? It can be daunting. I mean, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's like you said, there are tons of different formulas. You know, I like to simplify it for people. Uh, Obviously, you know, like we always recommend as well, like if you want to go invest in in a chartered business valuator, by all means, and invest in in that type of guidance, like it's, you know, it's pretty valuable. But in general, if you're looking for, you know, an estimate of value on your business, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Scott Galloway, but he he pitched it in in um, in a little uh, panel discussion I was part of, and he pitched it perfectly. He's like, if your model is transactional, most likely you'll land on some sort of multiple of EBITDA. If your model is recurring, you will most likely land on some sort of multiple of revenue. And that's kind of the approach I take. It's simple. Uh, it's easy. Uh, and um, and at the end of the day, I think it, you know buyers and sellers will. Um, we'll always have that debate on, you know, what the multiple is. So it's, it's part of that conversation as well. Are there any industries or anything like that you guys avoid not having on the website? You just don't put them on, you don't, you don't let them list it. Uh, not really. We're pretty agnostic. Uh, You know, we see, yeah, we see, you know, pretty much every listing uh, across, 
across Canada, the U.S. Um, and like I said, you know, every every valuation as well, uh, generally under the five million dollar mark. But we do have outliers. Like we've had a bed and breakfast on our site for twelve million, which was pretty cool. Uh, and we've had a little, you know, uh, home based basket company. Uh, that was trying to sell for a thousand dollars. So we do have those outliers, um, but yeah, like like the average is around that seven hundred thousand mark. Okay, man, we've uh, we've been chatting for nearly an hour, and uh, so let's just do some important uh, housekeeping stuff. How do people contact you if they want to reach out to you and talk to you? Yeah, sure. So the easiest way is just to go to our website. So buyandsellabusiness.com. Uh, I'm almost, I'm also pretty active on Twitter and that's just at Nunzio Presta, uh, N-U-N-Z-I-O-P-R-E-S-T-A. Um, and, and yeah, that's probably the easiest, easiest way to get in touch. So for my U.S. listeners, Z is Z. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm on the phone with people from Australia and I've had people all from, I, I love the different cultures and stuff, but I was just yeah. playing with you there. So <laughs> nope. um, our favorite question that always in the show with, and we probably should get to that point now is how can myself or the audience help you out? What can we do to, to help you move your game forward? Yeah. You know, like, Full serve is, is fairly new. You know, we're the first platform uh, to launch a solution that has really digitized and automated this, this purchase and sale experience um, for our users. So, you know, we've, we've launched, I, I believe it's been just over three and a half months now. Uh, it's getting some great traction, some great momentum. Um, but I love feedback on it because we're trying to perfect that, uh, that experience and that solution as much as we can. So, you know, I think, my, my first ask would be, would love some feedback on that solution. Uh, I don't know if we're able to share a link to that solution. Um, but, uh, if we can, maybe we could drop that in, in, uh, the, in the copy somewhere, Ron, uh, but would just love some feedback on that solution. And, and then just like any other two-sided marketplace, you know, we're looking for people to walk down the aisles and we're looking for inventory on the shelf. So, um, you know, word of mouth referrals and just going to our site and suggesting our site to people looking to buy or sell a business, uh, any type of business, uh, would be, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, awesome. And we definitely can get that link in the show notes. Uh, make sure you email what you want in there to my team. Yeah, thank you. I'd say send it to me, but I just moved. Everything's crazy here. If you send it to me, I might lose it. Send it to yeah. Mariel and she manages the production team. She'll get it in there and get it in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, expect it to be in the show notes. And uh, if you don't thank see you. it in the show notes, reach out to me via the hotline that's on the show on the show and tell me I forgot the link, and I'll make sure we get it out there. <laughs> uh, Perfect, yeah. Things are still a little hectic moving to California. You know, I say hectic. Um, we're going to get office. I'm going to text the wife to bring the kid back, the kids back over here, uh, and I'm going to grab my fishing gear, go back to the ocean. So Jealous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate having you on the show today. Um, uh, thank you for being here, and let's call it an end. No, absolutely appreciate the opportunity, Ron. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale, and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. 
Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.